I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to the call. Ten stock, 60 minutes, all sent through by you. I'm David Kosh, and this is a rapid fire 60 minutes that we will run through the stocks that you want to know more about. And we're going to pick the brains of the experts here to give you some guidance on what to do. And joining me is Chris McDonald from Morgans. Chris, thanks for joining us. David. And Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Julia, good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us from uh, Berman Invest HQ, I gather. <laughs> yes, I'm in the home office. Great to be here, Koshi. <laughs> All right. Now, the, the basis of the call is that uh, you email in or through Twitter the stocks that you're most interested in and you want to have more analysis on. We go through in detail here, 10 stocks, 60 minutes. The clock starts now. Qantas, Chris, what's yeah. your take on Qantas at the moment? Tough time, yeah. grounding most of its fleet, mm. but really quick to get some finance in place to, uh, to get through this crisis. Yeah, Qantas is definitely an interesting one. One of the ones most affected in the in the top 50 of all stocks. Uh, we've seen the share price being uh, sashimied recently, uh, uh, grounding pretty much the whole fleet now, except for a few emergency flights in. Uh, what I like about Qantas, and we're, what we're talking about at the moment in this market is survival. If it's three months, six months, can a company survive? Does it have access to liquidity? Can it cut costs? Can it emerge the other side? And if it can, what does that earn? profile look like. So for me, Qantas uh, is a survivor. Uh, the national carrier, it's probably important that it survives and isn't nationalised. Uh, at the moment, it's sitting on uh, almost $2 billion in cash, another $1 billion in undrawn debt that it can utilise and probably will use some of that uh, yep. along the way. Uh, as we know, they've uh, grounded pretty much every aircraft. Uh, they've reduced the number of staff to skeleton staff at the moment. Uh, and are benefiting from a bit of a rescue package, uh, stage one and two, from the government. So on that basis, we talk about, uh, Scott Morrison talking about hibernation. Qantas is a stock that can cryogenically freeze for a period of time <laughs> and, and will emerge. Uh, we actually are quite optimistic in the next few years that uh, uh, the passenger numbers will recover and certainly bounce back faster yeah. than some other industries. Uh, yeah, uh, certainly bounce back uh Better than the cruise industry, I'd reckon. Uh, Julia, what's your take on Qantas? I think Chris outlined that it is about survival and Qantas probably has the cash as well as the ability to draw on liquidity over the next 12 months. So it can easily survive for, I think, about 12 months. I think the key risks here is that we do see a structural change in terms of travel preferences. You mentioned cruise ships, um, Koshi, and probably people are going to avoid uh, cruise ships for a while. The key question is, are they going to be avoiding international 
travel for a while. And now we're going to see some structural changes in terms of the travel market. My view is that we will see a strong rebound in travel in 2021 and 2022. And the other thing that we are watching is we know that the airline industry is doing it tough. So do we start to see nationalization of some airlines and some uncompetitive pricing um, happening once those airlines are back online? So there are a couple of the things that we're watching. I guess if we're comparing Qantas and Virgin, I would prefer Qantas. Um, and with the ability to sort of knuckle down over the next 12 months, it is high risk, it's troubled industry, but I think it will come out uh, with clear skies in about 2022. Well, as Chris was saying, it's got a beautiful set of numbers, isn't it? They've, uh, they've got debt that they can draw down, they've got the financing package, they've got the financial firepower to actually hibernate and come out. And probably you would think they'd be able to start restructuring some of their labour uh, deals as well coming out of this. Well, Qantas is well known for restructuring its labour, but I guess its lifeline is probably the aircraft that it has. And if it did get into dire situations, what it could do is a deal on its aircraft where it sells those aircrafts and then leases back those aircrafts. And that would free up additional capital in addition to the $1.9 in liquidity, the extra $1 billion in undrawn facilities that it has as well. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you were talking about um, sort of nationalising, the government getting involved. Mm. Uh, we should remember that during the GFC, the US government made massive profits out of TARP, mm. didn't they? Um, you don't nationalise, you lend them the money, you, ta- you take equity, you're buying it at the bottom of the market, mm. and made billions out of it. Good they thing did. for us, to, a blueprint for our government to follow here. It is, but I think we're a long, long way away from that. I think we are talking, as Julie mentioned, the uh, six to 12 month range. Uh, Qantas has time uh, on its hands. And also uh, there is an ability for a foreign owner. We talk about FERB now, uh, the government looking at any sort of uh, predatory investments, but investment on fair terms into Qantas, they do have the capacity, I believe, to go up uh, to around 30% foreign ownership. So that hasn't been tested. Mm -hmm. That may be an opportunity down the track, of course, uh, Virgin's gone that way to the extreme with 80% being uh, owned okay. by overseas players. Speaking of Virgin, that's that's one of the other stocks that mm. our, our viewers want more information on. Uh, compared to Qantas, how do you see Virgin going? Look, Virgin is, is more in the uh, tossing the coin side of things. It's probably got six months of runway as opposed to 12 plus. It's got less access to uh, open uh, markets in terms of raising capital. Certainly with the price where it is, six or seven cents a share. Uh, the other complicating uh, factor with, with Virgin is the ownership. As I mentioned, you've got players like Singapore Airlines, some huge Chinese groups, Etihad, owning almost 80% of the stock. So it really only is a 20% free float stock. And really it's about how those big significant yeah. investors play. Um, for them, it's very important at this stage to keep Virgin alive. Uh, it is quite profitable and, and Virgin had done a, a bit of a dance around uh, changing their debt structure, buying back their velocity program quite recently because it was profitable. Um, so it's really about how their big uh, investors uh, decide the way forward. Do they okay. want it uh, to be chopped up and taken private uh, or not? So that's an additional risk. And there's four big players in the room. Uh, they do need the co-sharing. They do need the access to, to Australia. But in what context? Yeah. Uh, so for me, Virgin has more uncertainties over and above Qantas. And, and when we've got basically the whole market on sale at the moment, do you need to take those additional uncertainties at the moment? My feeling is no. Okay. 
Juliet, you were saying just a little earlier, you prefer Qantas to Virgin. Why? Uh, because of the share ownership. I mean, with 80% of its capital tied up, some people are hoping for a takeover by Singapore Airlines. But given the number of big players here, I think it's going to be a pretty difficult deal to do. Virgin does have about $1 billion in cash, so it does have plenty of cash on its books. And this is just my view. But look, Australia essentially is an island, and we need to have at least one carrier which is uh, which services Australia. And that, in my mind, is, is Qantas. If we didn't have a national airline or an airline that serviced Australia, we'd essentially be stuck. What are we going to do for travel, get in the boat and start rowing? Um, so I guess um, in terms of that, I see Qantas as a safer bet. Virgin, it's a little bit more difficult, not so much because of uh, its cash position, because its cash position is strong, but more because of the shareholder structure. Okay. All right. Let's move focus to uh, retail slash financial with Afterpay. I'll tell you what, the market has been crazy the last two weeks, yeah. but even crazier has been the afterpay market. It's been yeah. ridiculous, the seesawing in that share price. Mm. Um, Chris, if you're sitting on the sidelines, stay on the sidelines, but if you're, if you're in afterpay, what should you be doing? Well, I think the good thing about afterpay is that they do have a fairly strong balance sheet. Uh, people have modelled out wearing a $400 million loss. Um, they're trying to adapt to move online. Really, it's the... The, the nature of the payments are small and short duration. That's actually yep. a huge positive. The, the fear is, you know, they're, they're not the lender of last resort, but certainly further down the chain than you yeah. might find from the bank, uh, the from the company, from Visa. So, so that is the risk. If we have certainly dislocation in, in uh, unemployment, jobs, the ability to repay, uh, and and for them more, it's about growth. I think their growth's just really been kiboshed, so they need to be repriced. The market doesn't know how to value this uh, company, as you mentioned. Last week it was 50-50. It was going broke when it was sitting at $8 a share. Then the market decided it wasn't going broke and it went to $23 in three days. Um, it's like being on one of those big roller coasters in Knott's Berry Farm. Um, given the uncertainty, and we might touch on this later with what's going to happen globally, particularly out of the US, um, I'd tend to wait for an, uh, a later entry point. If you are in the stock, hopefully you should pair a few gains. Um, if you've been in it for a while, you're still probably above water around $18 a share. So maybe take a bit off the table. I think you're going to get an opportunity either for an additional raise at some stage later this year at a lower price if you're an existing shareholder or a lower price if we have further um, mm. wobbles out of the US in the next three weeks. So okay. I think you can be patient. Um, it should survive though, but albeit with a lower growth profile that may be lower for a number of years. Okay, Julia? Uh, look, I like Afterpay. I think it's high risk here and it will be high risk over the next six to nine months. So I think you do need to pick your entry point quite carefully. And I do see two key risks here. One is in terms of the retailers where it makes a percentage of sales. Um, and we have seen retailers not only going offline in terms of bricks and mortar, but in terms of its online platforms as well. And so if we see online platforms shutting down temporarily, that would be a massive hit in terms of Afterpay's business in the short to medium term. And we've seen this in the UK with Nets, which is the second largest uh, clothing retailer, not only have its bricks and mortar uh, businesses come offline, but its online 
platform temporarily because of the concerns that some of its warehousing staff had around uh, COVID-19. We've also seen in the US some of the uh, platforms coming off as well. So US uh, Netaporter is down temporarily. And if we continue to see that spread, that's going to remain a substantial risk for Afterpay. So look, I don't think there's any rush to jump into this stock. The other thing is that they're probably going to see um, more defaults in terms of payments, and that's going to have an impact in terms of its business. But it does have the capacity to, um, I think, withstand that, even if we saw uh, late payments and things like that, uh, or non-payments rising by you know three times. I think it has the capacity. But that's something I'm keeping a close eye on with Afterpay. And I don't think you need to rush into this one. I think you're selective and you use your timing tools properly. I'd use like oversold, overbought levels over the next six to nine months to pick this one up. Okay. All right, you're you're watching the call uh, at this time, midday Eastern, every single uh, trading day here on Ausbiz, where we run through the 10 stocks that most interest you and get the expert opinion on them. If you'd like to suggest a stock that we, we get those expert advice on, uh, you can either email into Ausbiz or um, send us your suggestions via Twitter. The next one is a bit broader in the asset management class, Platinum Investment Management. Chris, what's your take there? Yeah, Platinum's an interesting one. If you're buying Platinum, you're really buying uh, the global market. Obviously, they have a number of sub funds uh, and get fees on top of that based on the amount of funds under management and their performance. Uh, I guess for Platinum, the, the trouble is the uncertainty in the short term, uh, both in terms of the funds under management, which is reflective of share prices and also people putting money into and taking money out of the funds, and, and also that performance as well. Um, Platinum uh, uh, under Keir Nelson uh, was really one of the, uh, the, the golden funds for so many years, mm-hmm. really, for two decades. Uh, and really in the last couple of years, David, they seem to have underperformed the market in terms of performance. And really uh, some of the newer players uh, like Magellan have seemed to have taken over the mantle of outperforming. Uh, so for me, given uh, that they've, they've got a history short term of underperformance, and they really are giving you pure exposure to the market. You've got two uncertainties there. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, I guess, in the Magellan camp. They've been very good to my clients and investors. They seem to really have a handle on their systems, their stock picking, their algorithms. Uh, and for me, if I want to get global market exposure, I'll be looking Magellan over Platinum at this stage. Mm. Um, for people that are patient, and a lot of people have Platinum funds, uh, they still have relevance, but I'd be looking uh, beyond uh, platinum asset management and maybe looking at the international funds themselves to see if there's a better way of getting global exposure into what we hope is a market recovery in the second half of the year. Okay, good tip. Julia, what about you? I think it's too early to get into the fund managers given the amount of uncertainty over earnings. And look, platinum is a value investor, but it's very difficult to gauge value when there's so much earnings uncertainty and probably downgrades and capital raisings to come down the track. Not only does Platinum have to deal with the outflows that are coming um, and that have already come, but also the fact that it's 100% equity, which means it's exposed to the market. So it's got that market exposure, the market mark to market, as well as the outflows to contend with. So look, value investing is probably going to come a bit more in favour with this market volatility. But look, I think the volatility has a bit more to go here. So I'd probably be on the sidelines in terms of planning. Okay. All right. Uh, shifting focus again to uh, to retailers now. One of the big winners 
out of all of this has been the supermarkets, um, mainly driven by us with our panic buying. I uh, was I talking to the other day, Coles, I think, and they said they planned for six months for Christmas week. That is their biggest shopping week of the year. They planned six months. Well, in the last month, they have had three consecutive Christmas weeks in terms of buying as we've all panicked about being locked down and not being able to get to the supermarkets, which all our politicians are saying we've got no need to worry. But uh, Chris, <laughs> Woolies, they're taking on, what, um, 5,000 new staff Yeah, it's as amazing. Well. It's extraordinary. One of the few winners in this terrible situation that we find ourselves in from a health and economic standpoint, uh, Woolworths as a share has been one of the market darlings, really was looking quite expensive as early as a month ago, uh, $42, $43 a share and uh, seemingly going to the moon. They've really shown their defensive capabilities over the last few weeks. Uh, yes, they've seen an uptick obviously in sales. Uh, Albeit, I think that will probably start to moderate uh, to some degree. You can't um, be buying any more toilet paper. Look, <laughs> or, or tins of this yeah. and that. I mean, there's some bunkers out there in the yeah. country that are stocked to the brim. Um, I do like their, uh, their, uh, their risk profile. Really, it's about price. Now, this is certainly in my top. If you take the top 20 stocks on the ASX, Woolies is one that's going to survive and maybe even thrive through this and out the other side. So it ticks the most important box for me, investing on behalf of clients, survival. Uh, balance sheet is unquestionably strong. Their biggest Achilles heel is about 11% of their business, their hotels and property group, which is basically shuttered at the moment. So that is a drag to their earnings. Uh, and I just caution people over the price. Again, um, it isn't immune to a market sell-off that we saw a week ago. It has bounced quite nicely. Uh, but I would use any further uh, falls in the market, and mm. I don't think we're over. We will get at least one or two more um, scary red days ahead in the next month. Use those opportunities to start accumulating uh, Woolworths. When things normalise, they will try and carve off that uh, uh, hotel group as well. So that's going to okay. be a medium-term opportunity to unlock uh, value and capital for investors. So I like it. I like the business. Uh, really, it's a function of price for me in terms of adding, but people that hold it are probably pretty happy investors at the okay, moment. Okay, all right. Big tick from Chris on Woolworths. Julia, what about you? I'd probably be selling some of Woolworths and switching into West Farmers at this point. Woolworths has had this really lovely run-up, and it's true that we'll probably see an elevation in terms of grocery sales as we work from home because we're going to be eating lunch from home and making our coffees from home rather than buying it out at, at the takeaways that we usually probably do uh, at, in the city. So aggregately, I think we'll see an increase in uh, sales over a period of time, but it's going to be nothing like the last three weeks. I found when I went to the shops yesterday to buy a few things, my grocery bill was actually lower than usual because I didn't have to stock up on things like rice, pasta. I already had these things in the pantry. So look, I think we'll see an easing off. I think the share price is already baked into um, baked in the, the better sales that we're seeing. On the other hand, if we have a look at West Farmers, it has a big cash war chest and the time you want to be shopping around for acquisitions mm. is during times of crisis and panic. And West Farmers has that ability to bring on new businesses. So I think it's in a good position there. And then add into the mix, Bunnings. I'm not sure if you've been to Bunnings over the last couple of days, but just walking around my neighbourhood, everyone seems to have a home project at the moment, whether it's painting fences or a little garden or renovations on, 
on houses. And I'm not sure how Bunnings is trying to keep up with the social distancing. Because when I went to buy some soil yesterday, it was absolutely chock-a-block. I couldn't find a park at my local Bunnings. So, look, I'd probably be switching from Wesley to West Farmers because of its ability to acquire in a soft environment. And Bunnings, I think, is doing well. Hey, Chris. Yeah, Julia brings up an interesting point. Uh, the thing I like about uh, West Farmers is quite a simple business now. They've obviously got rid of coals. They did that for a reason, right? They wanted to focus on their higher margin businesses where they could deploy capital more efficiently. It's got a lower price earnings ratio than, than Woolies. And, and to be fair, Officeworks had the back to school and they've effectively had a second back to school or office to home influx as well. So. Um, the, uh, the Bunnings will be interesting. There's probably going to be a few TikToks of dads having a crack at doing yep. some home renos. Uh, <laughs> so there should be quite interesting things yeah. emerging. But definitely a run on paint. Who yeah. would have thought of all things? So we live in crazy times. But uh, um, Julia puts a really interesting threat and opportunity with West Farmers. This money, what are they going to do with it? Uh, because there's going to be great opportunities in terms of purchasing. But how far do they go away from their knitting? Obviously, yep. they had a little bit of crack at going overseas and that didn't work out so well for them uh, in the UK. So their next step has to be very well thought out in terms of purchasing a yep. complementary business okay. or returning some capital to shareholders, which I'm sure the shareholders yep. will be happy with. Nice so. position to be and what to do with the cash. Absolutely. Um, still on retail, JB Hi-Fi. Uh, been a darling of the market. Uh, Julia, let's kick off with you on that one. JB Hi-Fi, I mean, the last three weeks would have been magnificent for this company. Um, I think the JB Hi-Fi sales are tracking at um, up 10% for the first quarter up to the 22nd of March, even good guys up about 10% as well. So, look, that's likely to continue. We'll need our monitors, our keyboards, probably coffee machines as well as we're working from home. I guess a big question happens if we do see some of those bricks and mortar stores closing. It's not hugely strong in terms of online sales. I think the last report we saw, online sales made up about 6% of its business, about 6.3% of its business. And we've already seen the New Zealand uh, business shutting down, which isn't a a huge amount of sales, but that's just one of the risks that I'm watching with JB Hi-Fi. It's a beautiful model. It's been doing really well, but is the pain yet to come with this stock? Mm. Okay, what do you reckon, Chris? I think the pain's yet to come, and that's the buying opportunity. Uh, JB Hi-Fi is a reinvented business uh, that really grew its wealth off the back of uh, plasma TVs back in the day. Almost had a near-death experience when those margins cut down and they moved into white goods. Everyone thought they were mad. They seem to have really got their model right and, uh, so, and have been a massive beneficiary of uh, the current times. Obviously, 100% write-off uh, for work-related products. We've seen uh, them sell out of any Apple gear and I'm sure a lot of other uh, Samsung and the like gear. You've had a rush of people to get gaming consoles for the kids while they're studying uh, <laughs> and, and other goods as people are, are looking to uh, really... Um, acquire things now, utilise those tax opportunities and really remodel their lives around being at home. I think the good guys is going to be a much bigger drag because that's more of your true discretionary spend. People are going to pull back and it's really how long they pull back for. If people have lost their jobs, if people have uncertainty, they go into saving preservation mode. So do you need a new washing machine? Do you really need a new coffee machine? Do you need, you know, whatever it may be. So that's just the medium term risk. I think it'll get priced in uh, over the next few weeks. We still like the stock. I think we've got a $33 price target, which is well north of where they are. Yeah. So again, that's very much, if you're picking a retail winner 
um, if we get further market turbulence. I think JB Hi-Fi is in your beautiful risk reward for those assertive investors out okay. there. All right. Um, now, what about Centre Group? Very different. Yes. Shopping centres. <laughs> Shopping centres. They're still open, months. David. Well, they're still open, but yep. also the government's brought in protection for tenants over the next six months or so. And you've got to say, right, and, and Solly Lou's been on this for, for years mm. and has really ramped it up the last month or so. Our, our bricks and mortar rentals here in Australia are just out of control compared with the rest of the world. Is this going to be the, uh, the come to Jesus moment for, for shopping centres? Shopping centres have been uh, adapting or perishing for quite a period of time. We've seen it overseas. They've morphed into these quasi-entertainment uh, complexes for millennials and the like. They've tried to up the entertainment. Yep. They've increased food courts. They've increased ancillary services, obviously cinema and other experiences to get people in. Uh, there's been a lot of spend going on globally to make them destinations, and I think that will continue. Um, are they going to get the same returns as they have before this, which is the key question? I think the answer is no. Uh, are they going to have the same occupancies in the mid-90s percents and be basically saying, take that spot, this is the price, or we'll find someone else because they're anchored with David Jones and Woolies yep. and Coles and Audi? The answer is no. So the question is, if you hold them, you See, really are There are a lot of no's. There are a lot of no's because they, moving forward, are not going to have the same return. So you really got to question, are you there for the share price growth? Because arguably, apart from a bounce back on market sentiment, are you there for the return and the dividends, which is what most people yep. are there for? And that's where you've got to start weighing their stocks up. I think they're very well capitalised to survive a six-month shutdown because they're domestically focused primarily. Uh, but are they really going to spring out of that into full recovery mode? That's the second half of why you want to own a share, not just for survival, which they will. Will they thrive? Can they recover to their yep. pre-coronavirus levels? I really struggle to see that. So really it's mm -hmm. about... Maybe price, maybe hold, but it's not in my top 10 to buy. Julia? I wouldn't be touching this one. I mean, if you look at any business, if a certain proportion of uh, the customers are, are going disappearing, which is happening in terms of retail, unfortunately, at the moment, then, you know, you're going to be in a fair bit of pain. And then add into the mix that, you know, some of your uh, businesses that are renting out premises don't want to pay rent for six months. That's another bit of pain as well. I think what we will see are some changes in behaviour that, that's going to happen because of what we're experiencing at the moment. And I think one of the things that is uh, happening and will probably continue for a time is that people are becoming more local. They're shopping at their local grocery stores and instead of going to the big shopping centres. And look, I think that's going to remain for a while. So a combination of uh, some of the customers going broke and disappearing, some of the customers, well, most of the customers, especially the discretionary ones, are potentially not paying rent for six months. And look, the share price is also um, signalling that a discounted capital raising is probably on the way here. So I'd probably wait till a capital raising has happened before getting too excited about this one. Okay. All right. Um, next one is in the in the healthcare, a couple of healthcare stocks here. Fisher and Paykel Healthcare, mm. Paykel Healthcare. So when people think Fisher and Paykel, they probably think of the yeah, old dishwashers, etc. Yeah. White goods, <laughs> the good old days. Uh, pretty good value proposition. Wasn't quite the German fancy, uh, but really they are about acute uh, respiratory uh, high care gear now. And really for them, uh, it's it's 
all stops 24 7 producing as much gear as they can obviously respirators uh, respirators etc and acute high care icu equipment which is their sweet spot globally is in huge demand one of the few stocks where we've seen the share price pushing north uh, and one of the few stocks that on the big global uh, sell-offs of the last few weeks i've been a buyer uh, because it's one of the few where you can see their earnings, which were already trending up, uh, only accelerating for the next six months at least. They are exposed to a global ageing population which require more uh, respiratory services. They also benefit from a, a detente between one of their competitors in the respiratory grain, ResMed, over patent infringements, so they don't have that distraction. Um, again, I, I don't know where they're trading today, but anywhere below $25, if it gets back down there, I'm a buyer because I think it's one of those ones you can, if clients are looking at what can I invest in now where earnings are going up, you're not going to find too many stocks. A2 Milk, maybe. Yep. Uh, people are obviously uh, hoarding that. Uh, but really, for me, Fish and Pikel is a quality business. It hasn't been on anyone's radar for a long time, and here we are talking about it. Uh, great little business, successful business. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it trades at a fairly high PE for that stock. So just got to be cautious on what you pay for it. But again, while Centre Group would be a sell into a market rally in the next month, I think Fisher and Parkle's one of those uh, healthcare stocks you can look at adding into any sort of pullback. Okay, Julia, that's, uh, that's a big wrap on Fisher and Parkle Healthcare. Buy under 25 bucks. What do you reckon? Look, when we look at Fisher & Paykel, which is a New Zealand company that trades in Australia as well, we usually compare it to ResMed. Both of them uh, are in that space where if you have sleep apnea, they have products that help you uh, sleep through the night and you get a better night's rest. The difference, though, is that Fisher & Paykel is in the uh, intensive care area with ventilators. And, of course, ventilators have seen a huge amount of demand. And ResMed is now also producing ventilators as well, given the crisis that we are seeing around the globe. So I guess when I look at investments like this, I look at it short term, medium term and long term. And look, short term, Fisher & Paykel is blowing the lights out. Medium term, though, that valuation suggests that these very optimistic conditions are going to continue to last. And I think medium and long term, the key driver of this business is not going to be the ICU uh, equipment that it sells, but more the sleep apnea type of products that ResMed has. So, look, I think with ResMed, the ventilators that it will be selling is not going to be enough to offset the uh, sleep apnea and the sleep disorder diagnosis in the short term. However, medium term, I think from a valuation perspective, ResMed is looking more attractive. Having said that, as Chris mentioned, if we do see a significant sell down and we see, do see the valuations of Fisher & Paykel come down, um, I'd be happy to pick some up. But at these current levels, I'd probably prefer ResMed. The other thing is that we've seen Dyson over in the UK now producing ventilators as well. So we're likely to see extra competition in this area, even once COVID-19 has hopefully passed us by over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. All right. CSL in a, uh, in a similar vein, I suppose. Well, I guess so. They're one of the biggest blood plasma and blood product uh, uh, players in the world. Very, very geared toward the US uh, market, which again, uh, not the healthiest market, uh, aging population, very wealthy. So the requirement for blood plasma continues to rise. I mean, when you look at CSL, sometimes you just have to step back and look at a 10-year chart or a 20-year chart. And when you do that with CSL, you're lucky if you get one chance to buy it every year. 
uh, we've seen that really fall from $350 to $240. Now, that's an extraordinary fall for such a, a bellwether stock and a, and a blue chip performer for many, many years. We need to remember that a lot of their earnings are in US dollars. So once our Aussies at 60 or below, they're really benefiting from the currency play. Um, I do see obviously a slight drop in, in the taking blood at the moment, given the restrictions uh, and some of the applications for their products. They are in uh, a number of other drug indications as well. But for me, again, I've been a buyer around the 250 mark. I think they're at about 290 plus today. Any further dislocation in the markets, this is going to be a one in potentially five or 10 year opportunity to buy a stock. Now, remember, this is a stock that's uh, already split into thirds and gone up. There's people that bought them at a dollar that are now sitting on a $300 stock that splits. So a dollar into $900 is a pretty good yes, investment, David. So That's been a, a terrific investment. So buy anywhere around 250 if we, if we get it again, absolutely. Okay. I think it's just one of those stocks that always trades at a premium and a PE. But even even you know, even with what's happened, their earnings are going to hold up really well, and we do have that currency okay. buffer as well. All right, Julia, are you in the same boat? Absolutely. Look, first of all, Koshi, I do think that there's more pain for the market ahead. So I wouldn't be rushing in to buy things. But what I would be doing is keeping a watch list of those companies that I wanted to acquire um, during this time of crisis and, and panic. And I guess when you have a, a look at CSL, yes, the share price has come down, but I think it will go down lower. So look, I'm happy to slowly start accumulating, but I wouldn't rush in, jump in and buy it. We have a look at CSL in the short term, about 15% of its revenue comes from its flu vaccine. And I think this flu season, there's not going to be too many of us that don't get that flu vaccine. So I think that business is going to do extremely well. The blood plasma uh, part of its business, the blood product uh, part of its business, the other 85%, look, I think it will come under pressure in the short term, not only because of blood collections, but because we're staying at home, we're not having as many accidents. An interesting statistic is out of the US and looking at the number of uh, car fatalities um, from car accidents. And if you have a look at the week ending the 7th of March, car accidents and deaths from car accidents were actually down 7,000 to 10,000. And look, I think that's a trend that's going to continue over the next six months because the lockdowns that we're seeing, the shutdowns that we're seeing are not just in Australia, it's around the globe. And in the US, the situation is still accelerating. So look, I think you will get an opportunity to buy this very good blue chip company at a cheaper price. And if you have a look at recovery from bear markets like the one that we're in now, what you do see is the quality and the large end of the market leading the, uh, the acceleration and the gains once the, that bear market is over. Right, really good point. Final one for uh, our top 10 stocks that we're following on the call today. Don't forget, email in or through Twitter, send us suggestions for the stocks that you want us to cover tomorrow in our top 10 midday, every single trading day here on Osby's Midday Eastern Time. Um, final one, oil search. I like the oil, oil price down oh. $21, $22 today again. How's oil really search Really tough. Out? I mean, oil search was a high growth uh, business. Uh, they were using debt. They were really focusing on their PNG gas development. Uh, had, had, was emerging, I guess, over the last few years as a market darling and executing really, really well on some world-class assets. Then the PNG government got involved and decided to uh, arguably 
uh, changed the rules a little bit on the amount they wanted for any future developments. So that put a lot of uh, uh, oil searches, PMG developments on ice. They have gone to Alaska, to the North Slope, which is a lot higher risk, potentially higher reward, and they are relatively indebted as well. So we've had already, um, I guess, higher risks, uh, lower growth prospect, prospects, higher debt at $45 oil. Now we've got $21, $22 oil, and, and they look vulnerable, not, not to going broke, but certainly for more capital. If I'm looking at the market at the moment, I can't really go past Woodside Petroleum. It's one of those forgotten, steady-as-she-go companies. Uh, but again, I was a buyer at $15 a share. It'll be in my mix on any further leg downs. They've got a very low cost of operation. They're, they're Australian domicile, great balance sheet. They can defer their big projects like Scarborough. And eventually, the, the Russians and the Saudis have to capitulate because they're, they're bleeding. Their, they both balance their budgets at 40 $5 oil. So 21, they're using their foreign reserves. Yeah. So eventually Donald, when he's finished saving the world, will get around to saying to the Saudis, guys, pull your head in. So we do see a change because it's it, on top of coronavirus, they've now gone to pumping as much oil. And we yeah. see that as not sustainable. So Woodside can wait at six months until oil bumps up $10. Oil search is going to be in a lot of pain over six months. So yeah. I wouldn't touch oil search, notwithstanding it's really cheap. We don't have to flip these coins with all the uncertainty. Stick with the quality, stick with the balance sheets, stick with the um, Australian domicile, low cost of operation. And Woodside, for me, just feels more comfortable if you want okay. to sleep at night. Julia? No way on oil search. I mean, it's got a weird balance sheet, large amounts of debt. It's got about 300 million US dollars worth of debt maturing in September. So, you know, with the lack of cash flow here, this is a, an extremely high risk one and one that I'm not sure will survive in its current state without a capital raising. So, look, I think there's a capital raising on the cards for oil search. Woodside Petroleum, on the other hand, it's got a strong balance sheet and the ability to acquire some of its competitors at the lows of the cycle. And that's a great place to be. Okay. Cash is king in this market and Woodside Petroleum has it. All right. Just a, a quick one without notice. If there is another leg down in the market, weakness in the market, give me your top five stocks that you'd be buying on weakness. Chris? I'm going to stay uh, very much within the lanes. I think we've highlighted most of them. Stick at the big end, stick at the balance sheet, stick at survival, uh, best of breed. West Farmers, absolutely, probably the safest risk reward play uh, on any further right. weakness. Um, ResMed, I just like the long-term thematic uh, of ageing respiratory pro uh, uh, problems. Very strong in the US, which is their core market. Um, CSL, I'm sticking in the lane around healthcare. They're showing their defensive properties. We see it around 250 on the buyer. Woodside again, because I know at some point we're going to have a change in the oil market. A lot of stimulus coming globally, especially out of China. Um, BHP, I'm going to put in. BHP is holding up. That iron ore price is holding pretty good. Um, they're a big oil producer as well. So if again we see $25 BHP, it was 43.44. Back yeah. at 25. Their assets will be around when everyone else has gone broke. So right. I'm a fan of them. And I'm going to throw in the last one, CBA. But CBA at around 55, the only bank I would touch. They've got a good balance sheet. They've got a lot of deposits, which is cheap financing. And they're the only one with a coordinated uh, okay. technology system in place. The other three are really struggling. All right, Julia, sorry to hit you up on this, but I'm fascinated if we get another leg down, which you're predicting as well. 
Well, obviously the Holy Trio, which is CSL, BHP, Billiton, in terms of the Australian market and Macquarie Group, uh, in terms of weakness and quality as well as size, will lead this recovery. If you're looking for something a little bit outside of, uh, I guess, uh, the, the big caps, um, I think Breville is an interesting one here. Um, it will come under pressure because of consumer trends over in the medium term, but it's a suite of new products, I think, puts it in a strong place if you are looking for a discretionary stock. And I guess looking at some of the stocks that have been uh, smashed in terms of the travel area, I'd like to buy things like infrastructure. So looking at something like Sydney airports. And if you're in doubt, I'd just go through each of the sectors and pick your favourite stock. Yep. All right. Yep. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Julia. Really appreciate your time from Berman Investor. And also, uh, Chris, thank you for uh, joining us as well. Chris McDonald from Morgan's. Good to see you. Look forward to your company tomorrow afternoon, midday Eastern uh, Daylight Time, and uh, we will go through another 10 stocks with our brokers here to, uh, to get their view on it. So look forward to your company then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.